Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thanks for joining us, whether live or archived, here on the 23rd of November, 2017, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving evening. Can you believe that? I can't believe 2017 blew by as fast as it did, but it has. So we're going to spend some time tonight talking about the commentary of the rabbis, kind of like rabbinical narratives. And what we're looking at is some of the ways they see some of the what's referred to as the, their exercise of the halakha, their, their ability to exercise rulings and understand things. But more importantly, how they were able to take things and say, well, what worked in CE 38 may not work in CE 1979. So how they made those adjustments. Now, so tonight we're going to look at some simple four basic narratives, some simple things. And these particular narratives I picked because these are ones that are uh, critical to our understanding of, of uh, in Kabbalah and restoring the world and, and Tikkun, living out our correction, all the different things that we must do there uh, in order to do that. So again, thanks so much for joining me. Let's get into it. I'm reading out of uh, the English uh, version of the Zohar Volume 5, and I want to read the first one. And this is by Rabbi, Rabbi Yisa. He says, Thus our travels. See, the darkened corridors of light can be divinely illuminated when we connect to the light of Torah. This is accomplished through the study of the personal wisdom of Torah, the Kabbalah, and by the application of its wisdom to our lives. For instance, when we are busy helping others, performing tikkun, the light of the Creator will in turn help to us. The consciousness to think of others before ourselves stirs within us when we read the Torah. You know... I don't know about you, but I find that life is full of darkened corridors, very difficult tasks at hand, things that that we don't know what we should be doing. There are some moral imperatives. There are family decisions, financial decisions, work decisions, lots of decisions. And every once in a while, you'll get a decision that's pretty easy. Like, for example, pumpkin pie, very easy decision, not a darkened corridor there. But every once in a while, I feel like I need night vision goggles because there's so many things. 
uh, so many things that are happening and so many challenges that we face that it makes it ultimately really difficult to know what should I be doing. Now, in life, we move from one challenge to another. And I have to tell you that over the last few years, it just seems like in this world, we're just moving from one challenge to another. We've just got a constant crisis, a constant crisis going on. And I really thought about wonder why that is. Why does it seem so dark all the time? Why is there so much hatred? Why is there so much uh, violence? Why is there so much racism? Why is there so so much separation of a, of a excuse me of people? I tell you one thing. I will say about this. I believe that our new world, our new information society, provides us a twenty four seven. I mean, all day, every day, negative chatter. Bombarding us with the most discouraging news, the most discouraging events, and often a lot of those things are just simply false. Simply false. And and we get all this impact. I thought the idea of the internet and www and all these things and social media would help get us closer together, but I really feel like it's driven us apart. But that's a conversation for another day. So when we're going through the night, when we're going through the night times, the darkened corridors as it talks about, our travels take us there, as we're facing those challenges, how do we see our way through the darkness? How do we, how do we see our way through the darkness? Well, first of all, he, Rabbi Yisra says, divine illumination, the light of the creator. The light of the creator. Now, I want you to think about this example for just a minute. Because people say, well, where was God when this? Where was the light of the creator when this? Where how do I find the light of the creator? Well, the light of the creator is not missing. But I want you to think about it. I've done this experiment before in a lot of my classes. You take a flashlight, stand it up in the middle of the floor, and shooting a beam up on the ceiling. And I turn off all the lights in the classroom. How many people can see the light? I can see it. And then we take a tissue or a napkin and lay it on top of it. It makes it a little bit dimmer, but it's not bad. Then a couple more napkins, then a paper towel, then a washcloth, and eventually somebody's jacket. And now that the light's completely covered, I ask them, can you guys see the light? No, we can't see anything. It's dark in here. Is the light still on? Yeah, of course the light's still on. So what's stopping us from seeing the light? The coverings, which Kabbalah talks about called the klipot. Sometimes coverings in our life are sins, things that we've done that we haven't confessed for, sins we're continuing to live out, decisions that we should have made differently, that, that we're not owning up to those decisions. And if you begin to pull those layers off and begin to expose the light back out again, the light is there. So when people ask, how do I connect to the light of the creator, it's not a question of going and finding what God is doing and, and getting connected to the light. It's removing the coverings in our own life so that we can see the light. The light is always there. Now, there are many different ways to connect to the light, and there's one way not to do it. We'll talk about that towards the end. One of the things, as Rabbi Yusuf says here, is we can connect to the study of Torah and scriptures. And when I say study, I'm talking about really looking into them, really taking part in them, really beginning to to understand what they're about. And more importantly is, how do I apply this learning, what I'm getting out of this, to my own life? Most scripture reading that people do is like qualifying for a book fair. Uh, they read a lot. They get cool prizes, a little button. I mean, that's fun when you're in, in kindergarten. But when you're trying to really find the way for you to be able to connect with a lot of the creator, to live a life that God would be proud of, to to do the right kind of decisions, we really need to know what's going on. But we've got to make the effort to connect with the scriptures. Like, for example, do you ever consider what was going through the mind of Jacob, Moses, Joseph, 
David or Job. I mean, a lot of times we look at those stories, we go, wow, that would be terrible. Or, hey, that was a really cool thing the way that it worked out. But the question is, have you ever really thought what was going through your mind? What would be going through your mind if you were Joseph and Potiphar's wife is making these sexual advances towards you? And you're trying to stave her off and, and, be, and stay away from her. And you know this is not the right thing for you to do. What do you think was going through his mind? Do we ever think that he possibly could have been human? He was battling with the idea that, hey, well, look at Potiphar's wife. And then he says, no, I can't do this. We ever think about the battles or the confusion or the darkness that they had. What, how did they think and what did they do to, to put themselves out of the situations that they were in? And I will tell you this, that the greatest way, the greatest way to draw, for us to draw from scriptures is to actually apply the wisdom of scriptures. When the Bible says, don't lie, don't lie. When the Bible says, here's what you need to be doing, that's what you should be doing. When we're reading the scriptures, we should apply it. Another way that we can connect to the light of the creator, and this is very important, is we can connect through our faith practices and our traditions. We can connect through our faith practices and our traditions. You know, a, a lot of conversation is taking place now on what the 21st century church is going to look like. And I can tell you what I've seen so far. I've seen a lot of big screen TVs. I've seen a lot of sound systems. I can't really tell you if I've seen any smoke and mirrors and lights yet, but I'm sure it's coming. And the pastor will get up there and he's got a, He's wearing flip-flops and a pair of jeans and a Tommy Bahama shirt, and some places even have a couch up there for him to sit on and deliver the message. Man, that's all great. That's all great. But is that there to help us connect with God, to connect with the light, or is that there so that people connect with the church? Our gatherings should be a place of a sacred space, something that uniquely happens when we gather together when we get in our faith communities, we come together to sing, to celebrate, to share, share our testimonies, to hear teaching. That should be a sacred space. That should be something that's just incredible and, and not duplicated anywhere else in our lives. Maybe close, but not there. Now, loving our liturgy is not bad. It connects our souls with each other, and it connects us to the Creator. And loving if you're a Methodist and, or you're, you're Pentecostal, whatever, whatever liturgy, whatever faith practice you have, if it's praying, if it's singing, if it's celebrating, if it's dancing, whatever it is, man, do it to the fullness. Connect to those because in those faith practices and in those traditions is a connection with God. But there's one way not to do it. There's one way not to do it. I want you to remember that you cannot connect to the faith and practice of others. Let me say that again. People say, I don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel close to the light. I don't see the light in my life. Things are so dark. Okay, well, what are you doing to connect? Well, when I run into a problem, I talk to brother so-and-so, and I see how he lives his life, and I'm trying to do That's a great thing. But in and of itself, you have to remember that the moon is, a weak, is weak. The moon is just a reflection of the true power of the sun, but it's not the source. And in the same way in our lives, if we're constantly living our lives modeling the behaviors of others or modeling the practices of others, but not making that connection ourselves, not doing the work that it takes for to have tikkun, to have correction in our lives, we're connecting to the moon. We're connecting to a reflection of the source and reflection of the sun, a reflection of the creator, but not the source. Remember that our spiritual leaders are here to help us. They're not they're here to, to lead us, but they're not 
to live our tikkun, our correction for us. We have to do that on our own. All right, let's look at another one. Again, Rabbi Yisa. He's going to talk to us now about acts of charity and loving kindness. There we go. Actions of charity, says Rabbi Yisa, have the power to remove decrees of death against us. Often before a judgment is executed against us, the light will send us an opportunity to share and truly go outside ourselves so we can sweeten the judgment. The evil inclination, however, <clears throat> blinds us to these opportunities, and we remain in our selfish, uncaring ways. The wisdom and foresight to recognize opportunities to give charity is aroused in our consciousness. Now, I know this may sound really difficult, but when we help others, when we help others, we help our own correction. We help our own tikkun. Just like when we, when we taught about this before. He who angers you controls you. When you look into a, you're, you're looking into somebody and they're just making you angry, just remember that's the mirror. And what you're experiencing back is everything that makes is something angering you is something that's inside you. This person's like a divine messenger. They're here to help you work out the challenges, to work out the issue that you may have. And that's why it's bothering and you've got to get it. In the same idea, when we help other people, we're helping our own correction. There's a term in Kabbalah. It's kind of a cool term. It's called enlightened greed. Enlightened greed. Not everybody's going to take that and say, I knew he was a prosperity teacher. Oh, please. Enlightened greed means, greed means that I understand that by doing what God's asking me to do, by sharing the light of the creator, by having a consciousness of sharing and caring for other people, that is, I put myself out and I make those, and I make those uh, efforts that God sees that and he comes in behind and he takes care of me. It helps with my own correction. And we need to act like we believe this. There are so many sayings of Jesus that if we just acted like we believe them, it would be incredibly transforming to the way we practice our faith. Freely you are received, so freely you give. Judge not, lest you be judged. Powerful axioms of Jesus. This says, listen, if you go and do this, here's what will happen. If you don't do this, here's what won't happen. God sees our efforts. God sees our efforts. Now, God's not a God of instant gratification. I know we're making him out to be one lately. It seems like that's what all the theology about him is about, is how quickly he'll respond to our commands. But that's not really how it works. He's not any instant gratification, but long-range and often unseen results. Sometimes it's a long-range deal. Sometimes we may not even see it in this life. It may, it may be in the next life that we see it. But our sharing selfishly, uh, selflessly, let me try that again, for the sake of others, can restrict, as Rabbi says here, and hold back or even reverse judgments against us. And I want to tell you something. You may hear that and say, that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. But I want to tell you that I have experienced it. I have seen it firsthand in my life. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back in just a few minutes with the second part of our lesson. This is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Is your church, youth group, Bible study, school of ministry, or camp retreat looking for speaking services? Restoring Grace is here for you. We offer classes, seminars, video lessons, and online class offerings. Let's talk and see what we can build together. You can reach us via email at dfour26 at gmail.com 
Again, that's D F O U R two six gmail dot com, or call seven one nine three zero nine eight three one one. Look for us on Facebook. Search for Restoring Grace. And again, that's D as in David F O U R two six at gmail dot com seven one nine three zero nine eight three one one. Look for me on Restoring Grace. I'm sorry, look at me on Facebook at Restoring Grace, and you can also get us on Twitter, Restoring Grace. Maybe the reason we don't see karma hit others as fast as we'd like to see it hit is that they're actually serving God's purposes in another, in another element of the time of their life. And we're thinking, man, that guy should get it. Man, that guy deserves to get it. Man, he should get it. And maybe he does, but that's not really our decision. Our prayers. Our acts of kindness, our hopes for the success of others can often sweeten the judgments against us. They can often do it. I'm talking about anything as small as handing out a dollar to the Marion house at a Safeway to sending a text to somebody you know that may be struggling that day and taking that extra couple of minutes to pass along some words of hope. Now, we've got an enemy in this. It says the evil inclination, Asatan, Satan, the devil, our opponent, he combines with our selfishness and binds us to the opportunities of serving others. I have heard story after story after story. I cannot tell you how many people have said, you know, I was sitting in – I can't say Denny's anymore because we don't have them here in Colorado Springs. I was sitting in Denny's, and I just felt this urge to go speak to this person, or I felt like I was this. or And, I mean, I've heard it from, from men, from women, from children, from experienced uh, ministers to first-year Christians to students. They say the same thing. I wonder what that is. What is that moment of fear that pops up in us? What is that moment of hesitation that pops up in us when, when we feel like we're getting a divine signal? We feel like we're getting spoken to by God. You say, oh, I don't really have anything to say to that person. That person looks scary. I, whatever the excuse may be, what's happening here? What's happening is our own selfishness, our evil inclination is holding us back from expressing the light of the creator, from sharing. And it blinds us to the opportunities of serving others. By the way, in a hidden gem verse, and I believe it's in the book of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul says that we have entertained angels unaware. That's pretty powerful. Think about that. Spiritual wisdom, spiritual foresight, according to the rabbi, he says is recognizing those opportunities when they're present. People say, how do I know I'm growing? How do I know that I'm advancing? How do I know that I'm getting somewhere? That famous statement. How do I know I'm getting to the next level? It's recognizing the opportunities. It's knowing that that's a person I need to talk to. This is a situation I need to pray about. This is a cause I need to donate to. Whatever it may be that benefits others for the sake of others. And these windows of opportunity are around us now, I believe, more than ever. More than ever. More than ever, I believe they're present. Now, the opponent, he wants to blind us to them. And that's why we're experiencing so many distractions. I was thinking the other day, I'm not a very political person, but I was thinking the other day about how the one side calling the other side names and the other side calling the other side names back because there's just different names. And this guy does something and then somebody from, and everybody says, kill him, string him up, kill him. And then somebody from the other side does the same thing and they say, oh, that's going to be okay though that he did it. And all this stuff that's going on. 
what what amazes me is while all this stuff is going on and everybody's either the, I'm on this guy's side or that guy's side, all this, nothing's happening. None of them are doing their jobs. None of them are doing the thing that they've been voted into office and paid to do because they got all this stuff just tossing back and forth and back and forth. There are so many distractions right now. We need to clear off the distractions, find the truth of what the creator wants us to do, and go and do it because acts of charity are significant. All right, the third one. This comes from uh, Rabbi Yehuda. And he's going to talk about idols. A lot of talk about idols in the Old Testament document. He was talking about just after where Rachel has taken the uh, images, the idols, from her father's tent, and she's hiding them while her and Jacob have fled. The negative forces who dwell in our midst seem like they have the power to help us achieve many objectives in life, but there's a price to be paid later at a later date. The rewards are short-lived. And they leave a residue that creates chaos and turmoil somewhere in our lives. Idols do not only refer to statues depicting the gods. Anything that is ego-based, such as money, power, prestige, and material possessions, is considered to be an idol if it holds sway over our thoughts and our behaviors. Wow. You know, sometimes in my life, I don't know about you with you, but sometimes in my life it's very hard to know what's helping me and what's hurting me. Because sometimes what seems like such a great deal really turns out to be a bummer. And what seems to be like that wasn't that great of an idea really turns out to be a blessing. But the one thing I can tell you, the separating device that I can see in these things, is that the one that promises me something, you'll feel better about you. You will become more fulfilled. You will make more money. You will, all these things that are about me, 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 that is often the bad decision. And it often depends not so much on objects as it does our use of them. Now, again, in the conventional sense of an idol, I carve something out of wood, I throw it on the ground, I fall down in front of it, and I worship it. Okay, this is always going to be wrong. But like money. Money, is that always a bad thing? No, it depends how you use it. Drugs, medication, is that always a bad thing? No, it depends how you use them. To be a powerful person that has control and influence over other people's lives, like in a work environment, is that always a bad thing? It depends on how we use it. And we seem to think, it's interesting to watch how our lives unfold. He asked people, we seem to think or believe that we're going to live for a long time because we make the kind of decisions that make it look like we have a long time. But yet we spend the rest of our lives caving in, seeking short-term rewards. And that's what Rabbi's talking about here. When he comes back and says, these things look great. And they promise a lot of things, and they give you something right away. Man, that's got to be like the coolest thing if you think. I don't know who invented them, but like the vending machine that has all the candies and potato chips hanging, and you look through the glass, and you see the one you want, and you press the button, and you put in your money, and out it comes. Mine are always in the very top shelf, and they always smash the pieces when they come down, but it's okay. You can have it right now, right now. And we have grown into the society where it's all about having it right now. But what are we compromising by having it right now? You could go to some of our uh, fast food places now, and you can get on your phone and press your order and park in a certain number of parking place, and they charge it on your phone. You don't have to put your wallet out. And you pull up in your parking place, and they wallet out there and hand it to you, and off you go. 
Where are we going in such a hurry? What is happening to us that all the time we're looking for that quick instant gratification, that, that quick one, that quick win, that, that quick boost of energy? What's going on with us? Whatever happened to a family meal? Whatever happened to sitting down and just enjoying things going on? Whatever happened to those things? Our problem is that because we seek those short-term rewards, idols come in our life. One of the things is money. If you have the amount of money, I was talking to my friend Jim today. It was funny. We were talking about this, about what we'd do if we had tons of money. And we kept talking about how we would do good things. Well, it's one thing to talk about what you would do when you don't have something compared to what you do when you get it. We wind up serving so many idols all at the same time that it's really difficult just to find ourselves in all of that. Now, when I say serving an idol, I don't mean... Some people say, I know what you mean, bro. I have to go to work, too. I wasn't really talking about that, but okay. Because that's an exchange. And often not instant gratification. We just have to wait a couple weeks to get it. But we could serve a lot of idols. We could chase a lot of things. The rabbi talked about money, power, prestige, material possessions. These can all be drawing us away from real satisfaction, from real connection. And many things can be idols. Remember what his qualifying statement was? He said, if they hold sway over our thoughts and our behavior. Thoughts, feelings, actions, these are powerful influencers. Powerful influencers. And what happens is we get so busy thinking about the instant gratification that we forget about looking at the long-term need and the long-term need of helping others, of making our own correction, of restoring the world, of being part of God's efforts to correct the world. And we create a chaos in our lives when things don't go right, and then we complain about the residue it leaves behind. It's really hard to say this, but sometimes we just need to say, this is another fine mess I've gotten myself into. It's not God's fault. Remember that idols are not always statues depicting gods. They're dangerous because they create a consciousness. They're dangerous because of what they get us to do. And that idol consciousness creates justification. Hey, it's okay. It's okay if I do this or do that or nobody knows about this or nobody knows about that. Well, it's not okay. None of those things are okay. That's all the time we're going to have. I had four or five of them, but we'll go with those three. Remember that Rabbi Yisa reminded us that we can see through the darkness by connecting to the light of the Creator. We can do that through Scripture, through Torah, through practice, our faith practices and our traditions. Rabbi Yisa also talked about acts of charity and loving kindness, how by sacrificing of ourselves and helping others to benefit them, in return, it actually is going to benefit us. And last of all, Rabbi Yehuda talked to us about beware and remove the idols. If it has sway over your thoughts, your actions, and your behavior, it's an idol. You're serving it. It's not serving you. Hey, listen, once again, my name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. And whether you've joined us live or archive, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We look forward to seeing you on our next broadcast here on Restoring Grace Radio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfer subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.